Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Could Ted Sirios really create a photograph just by looking at a camera? What's really behind reality? Are animals aware of the multiverse? Hello and welcome to the 879th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WOON AM and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live and TuneIn.com. I'm Ben and those capricious questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures and dad, Paul. And today we bring you an open line show to answer your questions on pretty much any aspect of the paranormal. If you'd like to join us on the air, you can give us a call, 401-766-1240 from anywhere, or you can email paul at com or shanesearway at gmail.com. And uh, you can get at us also through any sort of social media platform, if you'd like. Uh, joining us via Skype today is our favorite guest co-host, Shane Searway. Tally-ho, Shane. Hey, hey, Aaron, uh, Paul and Ben, how you, good? Uh, how you guys doing? Yeah, we're we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, we're doing what we're doing. We're we're doing the best we can, and that's about all that we can do. Right. That's good. Okay. Well, let's uh, jump right in here. Uh, let's start with a um, an email from Charlie, which I believe I pronounced correctly before because she's written in before. Oh, really? Uh, from Willow Creek, Oregon. Already. So Charlie writes to us. Uh, Hi, Paul. Uh, I've been wondering where. The heck uh, with it. Okay. Well. You know, Dad, you're ri- <laughs> No, 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 that's not what I meant. Go ahead. <laughs> I was trying to think of a funny joke, and I couldn't think of one. Um, hi, Paul. I've been wondering where this question came from. It has been rolling around in my brain. There are some book characters that seem so real, I wonder uh, if they really do exist in our multiverse somewhere or some when. I think of Sherlock Holmes and Harry Potter especially. Busy, uh, busy today listening to yours and Ben's archive broadcasts, uh, greetings, and... F- Felicitations from Eastern Oregon, Charlie. Well, thank you, Charlie, for writing in. You always send very interesting questions. Uh, I, I think that um, she has a point there. Uh, we, I remember in some of our Halloween shows, uh, we would end with the idea that uh, if the Great Pumpkin or some figure like that did not exist at some point, somewhere or somewhere in the multiverse, uh, Charles Schultz, the cartoonist of the Peanuts cartoons, would not have thought of it. Um, I don't know if that's correct, but I, I, I believe that. So, yeah, I think definitely there would there would be some multiverse connection there. Uh, there would be figures like that. Anything that can be conceived, I think, is present somewhere in our subconscious, which is probably our different lives in the multiverse. Now, maybe that's snake oil, but I don't think so. Uh, what do you fellas think? Shane? No, I agree 100%. Um, but I'd like to hear what Ben has to say right here. Yeah. Well, I believe in many things. Um, so I, I don't know. I I've, I think of uh, Carl Jung with the idea of archetypes, and um, that there's with with book characters, right? You know, there's there's certain human characteristics, um, especially if the book's written very well. You know, it, it's it kind of transports us almost to a different world, maybe figuratively or literally. Um, so I, I wouldn't I, w- I wouldn't put it past it, but at the same time, there's a lot of characteristics and parallels that we can draw in our own experiences, 
and with any sort of media, or yeah, I guess any sort of media, you're put in the perspective of someone or something in that that book, film, TV show, whatever the medium is that you're participating in. So however the story is told, you see through their eyes, you end up kind of aligning yourself, you know, mentally, emotionally with these characters. Um, perhaps it is that you're, you're sort of tapping into somewhere or someone where you are this person, maybe, unintentionally. But at the same time, um, you have to kind of make the argument that maybe it's just they do seem real because these are character traits that you've experienced or yeah. or behaviors that you've seen or or in in some way participated in not to say that we've all been the greatest detective in in the world and and been terrible at violin but regardless i i could i would say yes it's possible but also we have to kind of maintain an air of well we kind of have to kind of take a step back and say okay are we are we identifying with this or is this a real reality? Yeah, I, I think you're right. You, you've got uh, the implanted memories, things that that, that that could certainly result from it, and, and we make associations in our mind of different things. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the Bridie Murphy case. This was a very famous reincarnation case that was talked about a lot in the 50s and 60s. And <clears throat> this um, person started having all these memories, a woman, of a person named Bridie Murphy. She went under hypnosis, which at the time was uh, considered uh, valid. I mean, still in, you know, it is, still is in many cases. And she uh, turned out, uh, she said she was the reincarnation of this Irish woman, Bridie Murphy, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, well, further research uh, much later revealed that when she was a little girl, who, at an age when she probably wouldn't remember consciously, uh, she had a, a guardian, uh, like a nanny, called Bridie Murphy. And uh, who told her old stories of Ireland and all that? And, and it, if if that's as accurate as I believe it is, that explained the whole thing. So there are all kinds of ways you can pick up these impressions, but I think the multiverse is certainly one of them. Mm. Shane, any further thoughts? Sorry, you, you guys got it covered. Um, you guys are definitely um, better on that topic than I am, so I've enjoyed listening. Okay, well, there, there you go. Uh, thank you again, Charlie, for writing in. Yes. Okay, let's uh, let's go to Facebook here, and uh, our our dear um, listener Peter in Bogota, Colombia, uh, has sent in uh, some some questions. Mm, would not be a show without Peter. Uh, oh, he's he's becoming indispensable. Yes. So Peter writes to us. Um, question, Paul. I understand you have researched the Stella Lansing case. Can you please tell us about this case and any similar cases? Okay, well, Stella Lansing, was, and, and actually he uh, he changed his question when he wrote, he wanted to talk about Ted Sirios, which we also have. But just briefly, uh, Stella Lansing was uh, one of, uh, was a woman who uh, was from New England here, she was in central Massachusetts, and uh, she lived at, up until 2012, <clears throat> and she was very active in the 60s and 70s, and she would uh, purportedly be able to take photographs with an ordinary camera of her backyard or of the sky or whatever, and all these strange things would come out, people who weren't in the photograph, uh, all kinds of strange craft in the sky, things of this kind. Now, I, now I, I have not, I did not know her, uh, I, there's no excuse for that because if she was she was active while we were still while we were on the air in our early years, so we should have been in touch. Uh, but she um, 
uh, supposedly was uh, legitimate, and uh, that's really all I know. And of course, the question arises: What was she taking pictures of? And uh, from our point of view, it might have been uh, sort of a, a multiverse scenes, things of this kind. Uh, Shane, you you know a little bit about this, right? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but normally, I don't speak a hundred percent on any topic unless I've thoroughly investigated and researched it. Uh, Good idea. Hands hands on, you know. Yeah. And so. Whether I, I I do know of you know the stories and and um and, and you know everything behind it, I have never really um, tried to recreate that you know using the the thoughts into the camera lens and and, and you know that type of thing, um, but I have seen thoughts projected outwardly that that you know come you know appear or or happen within an environment. Um, but we associate that with basically usually like parasites taken on, you know, um, this, this thought that you created, it, you know, just to get your attention and get you to, you know, buy into, you know, it or whatever. But so really kind of like a different, different thing, but that, that being projected outwardly has, you know, um, a result in some sort. Um, so I won't say that, um, you know, I, I believe that there's, there could be something to that. I just haven't actually, um, you know, tried to recreate it myself. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen uh, some of the photographs, but as again, I agree with you, Shane. I, I didn't know her. I never worked with her, and therefore I don't want to... I'll, I'll just share what I know, and that that's about it. So... Um, then does Peter have a further question? He does. Well, then he then he, he brings up, uh, Paul, I understand that you knew the famous Ted Sirios. Uh, please tell us about him and what you discovered. Okay, well, the background of this was that um, Ted Sirios was, was a fellow who uh, purportedly could look into a camera or even at a pack of film, which I saw him do, and uh, it would come out either with a photograph or, or more often black uh, Polaroid cameras, okay? Now, the background of this is that uh, when I attended St. Vladimir's Seminary just outside New York City, I had corresponded and became friendly with uh, Dr. Montague Ullman, uh, who was involved in the American Society for Psychical Research, and he was the founder of the Dream Laboratory. I think it was the first Dream Laboratory of its kind at the Maimonides Medical Center in New York. And uh, I wouldn't really call him a mentor, but we kind of enjoyed each other's company now and then. And when something was going on that he thought I'd be interested in, he'd get in touch and say, yeah, you want to come down to the city and uh, check it out. And uh, on two occasions, uh, I wanted, he'd come on down and check out Ted Serios, right? <clears throat> now, Ted was most active in the 60s, uh, and now, now we're talking about the 70s here, uh, but he did... Uh, kind of back off when there was some controversy uh, and a famous magician said he was a fake and all this. Now, Ted was an interesting fellow. Um, he was, um, he was, an, um, he was, he worked at a hotel in Chicago and uh, needless to, and just, we'll just say he wasn't the manager, okay? He was, uh, uh, he ran the elevator, he was a bellhopper, he did this, that, or the other thing. And he was, uh, you know, not, not a well-educated person. Uh, he had a drinking problem. Uh, he swore like a sailor, and he was well known to the police. But uh, I think there's a principle we all need to bear in mind that just because someone is, uh, you know, crazy or even stupid doesn't mean they're wrong. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not saying he was either one, but um, he was a salt of the earth kind of guy. Anyway, uh, he came to New York twice while I was at St. Vlad's, and Montague. Marty, I called, said, 
you know, come on down, see him if you can. I did. So they were, um, it was at Maimonides, and he was, there were a couple of experiments that I watched him do. Now, he used to take uh, the black wrappings from the Polaroid camera. I don't know if anybody as old as I am can, you know, out there will remember the Polaroid cameras. I guess they're still around. And uh, they were spectacular for their time because you could take a picture and you'd get it right away instead of having to take it to the pharmacy and have it developed. Mm-hmm. And it would come right out, and uh, it would, you know, be sometimes not half bad. So uh, he would uh, <clears throat> wrap up this black paper and look through it, and uh, of course the accusation was immediately that he was uh, had a, like a, a negative in there of a photo, and somehow the light got onto the camera. Now I never saw any photos when he was experimenting when I was there, but he was, but it would come out black on uh, uh, several occasions, and that's what I saw him do, which in itself is very, very strange. It means there had to be a, tr- a pretty powerful energy source, light source or energy source of some kind mm. uh, that went in there. Um, and it was it was really, really concentrated. You know, you know, his face would get all tight and he'd look. And uh, But uh, the, I've seen photographs. He worked with, with a, with a psychi- psychologist named Eisenbud, who himself has come under some question, uh, and supposedly who verified that these things were, that, that he could really do this. Now, what, what interested me was that when he would produce photographs, they would very often be uh, of, of scenes that you could look up. For example, Eisenbud's um, <clears throat> uh, property at one point came up, and th- then there was, but the barn was different than it was in if you were to visit it yourself, hmm. there were a number of photographs where things were different from the actual scenes as they existed in our world. Uh, one that particularly that stood out was, um, for some reason, out came a, a Canadian, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Um, they, they have an air division, still do, and uh, they, would, they have helicopters and stuff for search and rescue and all. And uh, Canadian was spelled wrong on the sign. Now, what is that? Who would even think of that? So looking back on that, I wonder if, are we dealing with a parallel reality thing such as Stella Lansing might have have created? So I, I don't know, but, <clears throat> so I say I knew Ted simply because, you know, we, we uh, rubbed elbows uh, twice there in New York and uh, we talked and um, I was a little confused about who I was at that point. Mm. But uh, that's really all I know. I, I really can't say whether he was legitimate or not. Uh, he did take this on the road for a while and uh, made some money with it, I guess. But uh, um, he, he had been interested in hypnotism mm. <clears throat> back when he worked at the hotel, and this kind of got him into somehow got him into this. He figured he could do this. Now the term thoughtography is used here, but contrary to popular belief, Ted did not invent that term. It was invented in the early 20th century by a Japanese uh, researcher who kind of discovered it, uh, supposedly. So so that that's, I don't know what else I can tell you about Ted Sirios, but he was a, really a fascinating character. And uh, I don't know whether he could do this or not, but I saw some stuff that really intrigued me. Hmm. Multi-wisdom perspective, yeah. Yeah, it, it brings up an interesting question, right? Because, um, you know, if you if a scene is, is different... It, it makes one wonder if it's just how he perceived the scene, yeah, or if it's if it's because essentially art, right? Art is 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 perception. How how the artist sees the world is how whatever the art piece comes out. Mm-hmm. And um, 
or or it's the same with interpersonal reactions, right? You know, one one thing that always kind of kind of you know throws me through a loop is that every person you meet has a different perception of you than how you perceive yourself. Yes. So effectively, that can be disconcerting. right? So effectively, yeah. you know, there's hundreds of thousands of different versions of perceived versions of yourself mm. in different people's minds. Yeah. And that's that's a that's pretty crazy. And it's like you know, and nobody ever really knows the true story. Maybe not even yourself. And yeah. and if that if that's the case, right? You know, maybe he was. Well, I mean, he wasn't an educated guy, right? Maybe he just no. didn't know how to spell Canada. <laughs> yeah, so he, may, maybe not. And so when he when he perceived it, perhaps that's how it it got there. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to remember this. It was, it was Canadian, as in Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I was like C A I N. I'd have to look it up, but it was all it was all wrong. <laughs> no A, just Candian. <laughs> Yeah, C A I N A I A D, something like that. That doesn't I mean don't it's not to... a multiverse thing, but it, it, yeah. I mean, in, in effect, it could be right because well, it's how we perceive the world. Eisenbud, the guy who the, the psychologist who worked with him, you know, just brought himself in because he thought it was probably another planet. Eh. I mean, that's I mean that's kind of a reach. I think in any circumstance, but you know, this guy. Uh, I mean, so but but here we are saying you know we're dealing with parallel worlds. You know, maybe it could be. It could yeah, be. so who knows? Or maybe it's how he perceives the yeah. parallel world. Shane, have you ever run into anything like that? Uh, you have had a lot of cases, uh, negative and otherwise, um, sort of rubbing elbows with things like that that might not seem to quite jive with what's in our world. I mean, I, 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 I we we all do that in this group, but uh, I don't know. Do you have any uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I've seen photos come out of, um, you know, homes I've investigated that, you know, take and, and have, you know, an overlap of a different time period of that, you know, of that environment in the house in which the, the picture was taken. Or of, um, you know, you've seen them, dead animals. That oh, were, sure. Animals that were dead, um, that were alive in the photo, yeah. um, you know, things of that nature. Um, but, you know, I haven't really heard a lot about the gentleman we're talking about. So initially, if I was to to be told this by you know anybody else, I would be very very suspicious, and I would have to go and research it, and um, in expecting to be able to debunk it. But you know, talking with you know with you guys and, and you know our angles, and I would have to agree with you know if I'm going to try to give it any credibility, it would be the exact direction that you guys took, um, exactly just how Ben explained it too. I mean, that would be the only you know um, you know direction that I, w- I would go to try to give it credibility um but otherwise you know initially i was a little little suspicious of this guy <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, I was too um and again i i give it no credibility one way or the other i mean he might have been legitimate he might not I, don't, I didn't really know enough about it at the time again i was in my 20s so um not i will say one thing yeah his his last name is the way you pronounce it is exactly how a lot of people <laughs> pronounce my last name, which is totally wrong. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there because it's a Shane Serios. It's like no. <laughs> <laughs> check it. Check about. Uh, check your camera. Look into the lens. See what happens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. So very so, good. Oh, th- thank you for the question, Peter. Well, he has another one. An- oh, another one. He okay. has another one, and it is for Shane this time. Ah. Yes, uh, and so he writes and asks Shane, in your close encounters with Greys, have you discovered any clues to their specific source or ultimate objectives? And if it is uh, about ta- taking reproductive material, to what end? Uh, and if they're hybrids, for what purpose? Does it all add up to Dr. Jacob's hypothesis or what? 
Additionally, do you have any memory of being inside a UFO? Uh, and if so, can you have a or can you give a description? They're just trying to clone Ted Serials. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no prolonged memory of um, inside a ship. I have like spotted memory that it's real cloudy, so I can't say for sure. I mean, it, it, that could have been from dream, um, but the ones that I, I definitely recall while being awake as being a hundred percent. Um, never, no reproductive stuff with me, no, um, probing, if you know what I mean, with me. Um, one of the last, um, interactions I had, one was when I wanted to reach for my gun and I broke out of the paralysis. My gun went flying through the room, but, um, but the one, the, the other one, um, but the last ones that I had was, um, going into paralysis, uh, being awake, and then all of a sudden, boom, um, hit, paralysis hit. I know they're here, they're, they're here again, they're here again. And all of a sudden, I felt um, like someone was sticking long needles into the sides of my ribcage on either side, kind of like towards my back, but, um, you know, kind of diagonally go, going in towards the front of me. And um, and, it, and it hurt. And, and um you know, when, when I woke up in the morning, I did have puncture wounds, and then within a day or two, I had bruising, and I do have photos of that. Um, so things like that, but um, but you know, it sometimes my memory feels like um, in a way that they've kind of guided me in in certain at certain times, but other times um, those interactions feel exactly like uh, the parasitic entities that I, I deal with. It uh, it has that same energy. Um, or let's just say, not emanating from them so much, the environment. The environment changes. So when you're in, a, in an area and these parasites come in, and I know I know you guys will agree um, that all of a sudden, before anything really heavy starts to happen, the environment changes. Something happens yeah. to the environment yep. um, that changes, and you can feel it. It's like I start, like, I feel like a vibration or a buzzing um, and everything kind of goes dead, really, um, silent, and and then things start happening. Well, prior to these things coming through, um, you know, whether I get hit with paralysis or I, you know, whatever, or I see the shadows and I or I see them, and then I black out. The environment changes first. That's when I know. That's when my internal dialogue goes to. They're here again. They're here again, and then boom, paralysis, or I black out, or or whatever. So that's about you know. Is far, but yeah, no, I don't have any memory of being on any ships. Just spotted things, you know, which may have um, something to do with it, but I can't say for sure. But the other interactions, I, I know that there's something to that. Okay. Well, yeah, but to, as far as any agenda, I don't know um, because, like I said, sometimes they it feels like they're um, they've kind of like guided me towards things, like to towards doing the work that I do, but at other times, I'm not too sure. Other times, it doesn't feel that way. Other times, it's uh, it's a little bit more aggressive. Well, as we always say, uh, people think that because of my seminary background, I uh, assume that uh, the aliens are actually parasites, <clears throat> but uh, actually, it's just the opposite. I suspect the parasites were actually aliens in a broad sense of the term. Mm. You know, so we've talked about that a lot, so... Who's next, Ben? Uh, we have Doug from Texas uh, with a – that's not so much a question, but it's interesting. Um, and he writes to us, In light of your broadcast with Dave Kane, I thought I'd share my own 41 experience. Yeah, that was la- last week's show with Dave Kane, yeah. Yeah, uh, and so he continues, While inspecting some wells, uh, I happened upon Well 41 while listening to an open line show of Behind the Paranormal. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> uh, I hope it helps you concentrate. 
uh, at that moment... You fall into the well. Yeah, <laughs> really falling down the rabbit hole there. At that moment, uh, Paul mentioned the 41 signs of hope phenomena. It gets even more weird when I check the total gallons that well had... Uh, that well 41 had produced which happened to have uh, 941 in total Uh, another day I was listening to your broadcast and the subject of 41 came up Uh, this time I just happened to be looking at some chemicals that I use for my job and the part number was 0941 Uh, when these synchronicities occurred uh, I just happened to be going through a difficult time nevertheless they served to remind me that things will get better and they certainly did well, that, that's a nice thought at the end. Yeah. yeah it's very, very positive. Yeah. yeah just again, a little bit of background. Uh, if you didn't hear last week's show, uh, Dave Kane was a, is a New England author and broadcaster whose son, youngest, uh, was the youngest victim of the station, a nightclub fire in Rhode Island in 2003 in which a hundred people uh, lost their lives. It's just awful. It affected all of us here, Rhode Island being so small. Yeah, in New England even. And <clears throat> so, uh, he immediately and his family immediately believed they were receiving communications from Nikki, the boy, uh, by means of the number 41. And all his life, the number 41, or 941 also, uh, had been significant to him. Uh, all sorts of synchronicities from, from that. And so that, that's the background of this. And uh, whenever we talk about it, I mean, stuff started to happen to me because our family media company published the book, 41 Signs of Hope, and... Uh, I edited it myself. It came out to 41 chapters, you know, totally unplanned that way. (laughs) And, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can listen to last week's show. It's on the iTunes and all. So, um, anyway, that, that's what, what that's about. So I just, everywhere I go, I hear people who know about this story talk about the number 41. And as we said last week, you know, if you're aware of a certain number, if you're concentrating on a certain number, yeah, you're going to see the number. Mm. But I mean, but, but the sheer volume, of examples of this, it, I think, goes way beyond any statistical uh, probability of that kind. So, anyway, it's, it's really uh, one, one of the most unusual things I've ever seen in 50 years of this. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Shane, any thoughts on uh, numerology or on any kind of numbers like that? I know that everybody has uh, kind of a special number. Yeah, I mean, like, like I've said before, um, like prior to 9-11, um, you know, well, after, I would say, after 9-11, Every time I look at the clock, it seems like it's 9-11, you know. Yeah, yeah. How many times a day do I look at the clock? But I will well, say, twice at least know, if you see 9-11. <laughs> yeah, well, I look at the, the clock quite a bit. I think we all do, and, and um, no time's going to stand out if unless it has a significance um, to that number, like 9-11. So it seems like, you know, every day I look at the clock, oh, it's 9-11. And so you can associate that with something something weird, or is it just because, you know, it, it's a significant number? But at the same time... We see numbers um, popping up in in horrible parasitic type cases too, where uh, the people that are being attacked are waking up at a certain time, oh, yeah. or you know, or throughout their life there's a certain number. And we know how parasites work. Um, in, in, you know, this is on a different angle than um, what they were just talking about. Um, but but like say in the cases of parasitic um, type hauntings, they're gonna try to get in your internal dialogue any which way they can. So if they can wake you up at a certain time with a certain number, that means a significant thing um, to, to get in your head. That's how they operate. But I, So I do think that there is something to the numerology and all that within all this uh, this stuff for sure. Okay, yeah. We've only done, I think, one whole show on numerology in all these years. 
I think you're correct. With with uh, Glynis McCants. Yes. Maybe we should get her back. She was very good. I thought that, that was. I, we're talking about 2011 or 2010, sometime we did that. Hey, you know, we're 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 bringing back old guests, and uh, you know, that we haven't had on in <laughs> five. Well, or sometimes, six, yeah, five or yeah. six years, might as well, right? Yeah, yeah. But so it's an interesting subject. I do believe it is time for our break. Oh, you're right. I'm, I'm yes. so fascinated by this. Hey, I are a little late. Uh, mid-show break, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 uh, AM and 99.5 FM with our special guest host Shane Searway today and our open line show with some great questions. Stick with us. We'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal on ON Radio. And uh, with our special guest co-host, Shane Searway. And we are doing an open line show today. And Ben, what is our next question? Oh, well, we have a question from uh, Thomas in Somerset, England. Uh, and he writes to us, I would love to hear Shane talk more about his methods in negative ghost cases. Uh, I've heard from several sources that he has a great success rate in helping people. Back engineering a case is really fascinating, uh, but can't that backfire? How does he prevent that from happening? Uh, I guess there's a couple more questions in here. Do you want to take them one at a time, Shane? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think the, the best story, in case um, this person hasn't heard the story, but I, I know a lot of listeners have, but I, I just like the story because it, it paints a good picture, and it also is a case that I, I met Paul on. So, uh, But I'll run through that briefly. So, um, you know, kind of how it works is, this gentleman was being attacked in, in Rhode Island and, uh, you know, horrible things being hit, uh, things being thrown at him, seeing this figure rise up to the corner of his bedroom, waking up to a disfigured woman's face inches from his as he laid on his back and, you know, things of that nature. Um, and, you know, he, he asked if I would join forces with Paul. You know, we, we didn't know each other at the time. I said, as long as, you know, Paul doesn't mind, um, and sure enough, you know, he didn't, so we, we joined for, forces, so we basically, you know, when it came down to it, you know, we gathered, like, gathered information and everything, and, and um, spent a little time in there, and, and spent time with him, but um, basically it came down to um, how long have you lived here? My girlfriend's lived here for 11 years, I've lived here for six years, <clears throat> excuse me, how long have you been being attacked? Only the last two years. So what happened two years ago that, you know, kind of lowered your emotional state of being or, or you know, um, hurt this environment in some way? But but generally what happens is something life-altering that really um, puts somebody in a vulnerable state of emotional being is, is how it works. And these, these cowardly um, parasites come in and they feed off of that and they'll they'll escalate it and keep you down. And, and so they can introduce the, the fear factor is what their ultimate goal. So what we had to do was try to um, basically change his his internal dialogue, so change his thinking, so we can change his frequency and kind of break that connection, if you will. Um, I like to just kind of say it's like uh, two um, 
walkie-talkies on different frequencies. So I mean, when you're in a lowered emotional state of being, you're kind of connected to these things. You raise your emotional state of being, those two things can no longer kind of interact with each other um, or communicate. And so we had to elevate his emotional state of being, change his internal dialogue from negative because he was a, a Vietnam veteran who'd seen his friends blown up. Also, he was a um, diagnosed with you know, cancer, which is when all this started happening. So, you know, when this started happening, two years ago when he was diagnosed with this. And so now he's at home thinking about how he's probably going to die and where he, he was terminal as far as we know, he told us. And, um, and also Vietnam vet and all the bad memories. So he's sitting at home just doing it all of this. And, um, this parasite comes in because he's in a, he's in a bad place. So, you know, do something positive, change your thinking, you know, do something physical so you have no choice but to focus on that positive action. And so he volunteered at the soup kitchen, um, you know, led this fight to save this, this stone church that was going to be torn down, which was the, the same um, church where this, this soup kitchen was at. And so he was on the, you know, the news, he was in the paper and all this other stuff. So he had something positive that was driving him away from those negative thoughts. And so not only did the entity just disappear, um, his cancer disappeared as well at the, mm. around the same time. And, and so that's kind of how, how it works. And that's, and as far as the cancer thing goes, that's not the first case that I've done or the only case that I've done where the cancer and the entity disappeared at the same time. They came at the same time and they left at the same time with no, like, just left doctors astounded. Um, you know, so, but as far as like, um, you know, what, what was the second part of that question? Uh, so the second part of the question uh, was, well, there's a couple of parts. You actually already answered one of them, um, which was how does he prevent it from, from happening again? Um, do, do you do you ever have cases of things backfiring? No, not not once. I think I think if somebody used this approach and, and didn't really have a good understanding of, of psychology or have a good um, – um, good people skills and because you you really have to have that um, just to have a set of tools but you need to know how to use them thoroughly and know exactly how each moving part works so and, and that's how I approach you know all this work and and so if I go into a home I have to know how you know bad wiring affects the human brain I have to know all those things I have to know how mold might affect our, our you know hallucinate and all this other stuff I have to know every little piece of, of um, possibility in this case um, and so that that you know because we could be basically treating something the wrong way um, you know treating it as paranormal and really it could be a medical issue um, so um, I'm, I'm pretty thorough in all of this so when you when you do treat somebody um, and basically most of these parasitic cases come down to identifying what change somebody's life in a, in a traumatic way or dramatic way, um, pinpointing what that is and helping them through that. So if, if you're, if, if a person can't or doesn't know how to do that, um, then it could backfire. Um, but it, it never has for me. Um, so the, the most important thing is to help that person identify for themselves the issue. Cause a lot of times these people are in denial of their, their true issue. So, talking with them, letting them open up, and sometimes they discover it on their own. Wait a minute, this is what the problem is. And then, so you help them, whether you direct them towards help or you help them 
with just letting them open up and talking about and then making them realize they need to turn away from that and go on a more positive path. Um, and sometimes that takes accepting those things that happened in the past. You don't have to always forgive, but you can accept. That way you can move on and move beyond it. And it's, it's worked every time. So, um, but I would still caution, um, any amateur from trying to use those tactics without thoroughly knowing, um, a lot more than just, hey, be happy, you know, because it's a little bit more than that when you're interfering in in someone's or intervening in in someone's issues. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, you know, it's, it's basically putting a band aid over, over like, you know, something that requires stitches. Um, I guess so. The, the the last portion of the question, which you already kind of started to answer, uh, which uh, Thomas writes, I have heard Paul and Ben say that the people usually have their minds made up about what is causing the problem. Uh, sometimes having trouble accepting new ideas about the paranormal, which you already kind of brought up, right? You know, it's it's um, e- even if they are they they don't want to change their ideas and stuff, they've sort of it sounds like they kind of come to the conclusion that oh. Maybe this is more about my mental state than anything else. If I'm yeah. understanding correctly, the biggest obstacle I have with um, you know using that tactic is because people know what they see on TV, um, you know, in the movies and stuff, and and what you read in books since you were kids, and in how the typical approach to dealing with is you know commonly um, pursued, and in Normally, that is through some kind of religious, um, you know, practice, you know. And so, you know, well, I'm being attacked by something. Let me call my priest or let me get a shaman um, or let me get a, a Wic, you know, Wiccan or, or whatever the, the case might be. And let's use paranormal to fight the paranormal. But really, that just it's kind of not really dealing with the root cause of the issue. And you're just um, basically putting, you know, um, basically you're not treating the problem itself. Um, So what these things do in in the religion um, where those tactics will work, if the person has 100% full faith that that it's going to work and it helps them to pull themselves out of that vulnerable, um, you know, lowered emotional state and help them beyond their personal issue, um, and, and, but normally it only works for a short period of time. Um, it, it won't sustain because people will revert back to their old issues eventually. So you have to actually identify that root cause and treat that root cause directly. So it will sustain. And, um, you know, so, uh, w- when I started this work, it was, um, how come, you know, I go in after hundreds of priests when it didn't work. It's because they're not really proper, properly trained to, to deal with this stuff. Um, you know, they deal with the people, um, but they're not dealing with the true issue. And so um, I, I identified that a long time ago. And then to just uh, to realize it's it's about us, you know. And and so when you, like I said, you identify that route, you you help them through that, and it sustains and it goes away. Um, and I think I got sidetracked there, but no, 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 no it's all it's, very relevant. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's actually answering the, the question. It may not seem like it, but it is. Yeah, because the the question in and of itself, um, as as vague as it is, I think I see where Thomas is trying to go, and he's basically saying, you know, um, if if this is if you know, it's, it's how you work, Shane, and and you've had you have a pretty you have a really high success rate, and 
you know, it's like, are there ever times where it doesn't work? And, you know, the methodology clearly works. It's because it's, it's not focused on the phenomena itself. Yes, it's a part of the puzzle. You know, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's a, but it's, it's a symptom, not a cause. Well, we had that one case, so it's worked all, you know, 100% of the time um, to the people that have allowed, you know, to have listened to me and did what I asked and believed in what I said. And, and all my, all the people I've helped have, have done so, except for, um, and Paul will remember this gentleman who, I don't know, gosh, it was like maybe five years ago or, or so that, that we were put in touch um, with by somebody else. And, um, and, and turns out this, this guy had other investigators in there who he harassed, you know, and, and insulted and all this other stuff. And, and so when I went there and I was asking the questions and, and then I started to, you know, give him direction. Now this, this guy was, um, he was an angry, angry person and he had some kind of rare kind of cancer, like blood cancer or some, some weird, um, and part Native American. So he was, he, he said he burnt pounds and pounds and pounds of, of sage and, and everything to um, smudge his home, but yet he was still being attacked. So when he called me, he expected me to go in there and do the same thing. And I said, well, why would you expect me to do the same thing when you did it and it didn't work? I'm trying to tell you that that's, you know, we're not really treating the true cause. That that stuff does work. It helps to, to purify and, and everything else like that. But you have something bigger going on here. You have something, you know, worse we're going to identify what that is and which I did do, but he couldn't see past his, um, you know, his, his, his established belief system and the fact that we're going to do smudging and maybe dance around or whatever. But, and, and I'm not making light of that. It's great tradition and there's good stuff in that, but it wasn't going to help him. He had something much deeper. We needed to, to treat that, um, that emotional deep scar and he just wasn't going to allow it. And so, um, what he started doing is he he actually he made he put insults on Paul's wall about me and him both, and um, and started calling me in the middle of the night drunk, and and I said you know what I can't help this he was a wreck, and so um, that's the only time that my you know that technique didn't work. It's only because he never allowed it <laughs> to to be put in place. Well, that brings up a really this this co- this topic brings up an interesting question. I'm going to aim this over at you, Dad. Um, so parapsychology, right? It's the, there's the the idea that um, you know the phenomena is is a reflection of, of energy that's put out by you know whoever um, if I'm understanding the principles correctly right well in poltergeist cases yeah. well in poltergeist cases yeah. so if if that's if that's the case you know how far off would this be from those traditional ideas of parapsychology well. Uh, Everything, nothing is entirely wrong. I mean, there's always, I think, a hint of, of truth in, in a lot of these, in most of these ideas. Uh, the idea of the parapsychology was, as, was the, founded, I guess, by psychologists. Now, psychology has never been entirely accepted by mainstream science because, you know, it, it's not, you can't do everything in the lab. You can't replicate stuff necessarily because it depends on personalities, and that's, mainstream science doesn't like that. So to make matters worse, out comes parapsychology, and that, and that founded in this country largely by the Rhines, uh, Joseph B. Rhine and Louisa Rhine, who was one of my mentors, um, started this in the 1930s, and in, in the, the British and the Society for Psychical Research had started this like in the 1800s. But uh, the point being that uh, they would they would try to make it fit the principles of science, and 
I've always thought that it's outside of science. The, the, the paranormal, supernatural, whatever you want to, you know, the, the uh, supernormal, however, whatever term you want to use. Uh, because, you know, like when I was in the lab, I, the, the, the heaviest thing I ever saw moved was a pencil. You know, this big psychic would come in and the, the pencil would, would roll, but only after a lot of concentration. Whereas when, when you, the weirdest things happen when you don't concentrate, when you don't think about it, and, um, Science has a problem with that, with not with not thinking. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that what what we're listening to uh, Shane describe is very much in line with what we've seen, and in a way, uh, really disagrees with parapsychology because we're dealing, with, we believe, with independent life forms, not things that that are projected. On the other hand, you've got uh, egregores and and tulpas. That do seem to be thought forms uh, that either rings the dinner bell for parasites and they come and assume the role because they're very good at mimicking and assuming the role, uh, or you you really are calling in something from a parallel world or you're actually creating something. I mean, I just uh, I, I tend to favor the independent uh, parasite uh, uh, theory because that's what I've seen, I believe. But um, you know, it's always open for debate, and and, and again, as we always say, uh, t- today's paranormal is tomorrow's science. Right. Well, the the reason I, I bring it up is is that you know w- whether whether we like it or not, you know, someone's psychological, you know, emotional state has to do with the the phenomena itself, right? Because mm. whether whether it's it's the cause or a side effect. Something about the the individuals involved in the case is both the key to the problem and the key to the solution, and I think that's kind of the parallel I was attempting to draw. Oh, right, right, with right, parapsychology. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you know, it may not be a hundred percent correct, and we also could be not a hundred percent correct either. Oh no, um, probably not. But the the interesting thing that just kind of dawned on me, you know, after <laughs> having been involved with this for the last fifteen years. Um, is that oh I guess you know that does actually play a huge role is is you know we keep we keep saying the individuals involved but it's like oh parapsychology was saying the same thing although in different terms okay I, yeah I think that you explained it better than I did yeah right okay all right so I think we have time for and I promise we'll get to some of the longer questions in the next open line show we never do because we just the short ones are too enticing mm. <clears throat> uh, so uh, we we have one from um, uh, Richard Eno, our cousin in Northern California, who was also a, an occasional guest uh, co-host of the show, and our Northern California reporter. Ah, uh, yes. Relatively brief question. Okay. Richard writes to us, uh, we frequently hear about hauntings or parasites being a negative experience. There are examples of uh, parasitic or haunting experiences that got that guy, or are there examples of parasitic or haunting experiences uh, that guide or uh, help people who experience it? We'll throw that right at Shane. <laughs> yeah, but very rare. Um, more, well, I'll say more rare than you would think. So, but I will, uh, t- I'll tell a story which will help explain um, my thought on that. So, there was one point I was called to a home. This is a long, long, long time ago. And it was just for validation from the family that they had something at their house. They knew it, but they wanted some kind of proof of it. They wanted somebody that was, you know, that did this work and was, you know, well known to to kind of like back them up on that because their family thought they were cuckoo or whatever. 
And so basically, um, they, they had what they, they said was a, a friendly thing in the home. Um, they would walk in a room, the light would turn on, they'd leave, leave the room, the light would turn off. Um, one time they, they got home, um, from work or whatever, and they had forgotten their key and they couldn't get in. And so they they backed up off the door and they're like, you know, kind of put their hands in there. Oh, geez, you know, and all of a sudden the door, you know, they heard it unlock and the door cracked open, you know, things, things of that nature. So, um, one day the mother was in the, the it kind of like a big laundry closet with the washer and dryer going both. So she couldn't really hear anything with both everything going on. She turns around and she sees her daughter sitting on her butt kind of, you know, uh, with her knees up and she's kind of, her arms were wrapped around her, her knees, but one of her legs were clearly, um, broken and, and she, you know, she, and so she said, what happened? What happened? She said, I fell out of the tree and the nice lady carried me. Oh no, she, the mother asked, how'd you get in here then? You know, cause her leg was clearly broken. She said, the nice lady brought me in. And so, but you know, the mother looked around, there was, there was no, no lady at all to be found. And they weren't in an area where there was a lot of people or a lot of homes. And so, you know, basically we were able to validate there was definitely something going on there. Um, there were natural elements, um, present that, that helped the whole process of, of these things going on. And so it was definitely credible to, to me. So then years go by and, um, I'm talking, you know, over 10 years or so, or so, and I get a call from this house and there, these people and they're frantic. They're like, you, we need your help right away. You know, bad things are happening. We need help. So I got there as soon as I could. And as I pulled into the driveway, I realized that this house looks awful familiar. And I'm, wait a minute. This is the friendly house. Although it's not friendly anymore. This <laughs> house, <laughs> this house is just horrible and it's it's ripping relationships apart and and um and people are being attacked and it's going from one person to another and um it, the most it was it was affecting at the time was two but it was usually affecting one person and playing that person against the other you know how that works and yeah. and and so so that's what was taking place and the difference was the the first time I was at the house that family was warm and loving now I'm I'm here and the problem with with the the issue now is this family is dysfunctional, and there's a lot of animosity. There's a lot of it, personal issues between people in this home, and it was basically kind of a little overcrowded too. Um, it wasn't just a, a, a mother, father, and kids. It was like extended family, and it just it was it was horrific. And and so you had this negative environment. And so w- my point was is this environment or this this um, this area was conducive and it had natural um, elements present that allow these things to cross over. Um, biggest, one of the most strongest ones is rivers and streams. You've heard me say that before mm-hmm. water bodies, but more particularly rivers and streams, I find, um, you know, just huge. It's a huge aiding factor. And so, you know, it had all that there. And the difference was, was the environment that was ma- being maintained inside the home. So we do have, um, the ability to dictate what comes through by the environment we maintain inside our home. And so this is another thing that I, I help to teach people because sometimes I go to these homes and it's like, you've got natural elements that are gonna allow these things to come through. So now it's up to you to dictate what comes through. Do you want happy things or do you want bad things? And so we need to change things inside your home, change in the way we, we interact and, um, and bring in love, more love and, and, and stuff like that, positivity. And that changes the whole personality of what comes through 100%. So we draw that in. And so, um, 
I hope that helps to explain that. Yeah, no, that, that's good. Uh, just uh, <clears throat> we're we're uh, coming up on our announcements here, but just very quickly, there's no time now. But at some point, I'm going to tell the story. I think I did once on the air. Uh, probably the weirdest haunting situation that was benign that I ever heard, and it took place in my town when I was a kid, uh, East Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, I knew the guy it happened to. So uh, I'll read that sometime. We could, I guess, a uh, really remarkable kind of ghost story. We can actually tell one for a change. Yeah, right. All right. So uh, let's take away our announcements. Okie dokie. Uh, so organizers are forging bravely ahead with plans for an in-person New England Parafest on April 10th and 11th in Kittery, Maine. We plan to be there both days, uh, but we will also do a live broadcast of this show from there on Sunday at noon. Uh, then we're scheduled uh, to speak that afternoon at 3.15. Other speakers will include uh, Shane, uh, right here along with us, Andy Kitt, uh, Denise Stone, Nomar Slevic, the Connecticut Paranormal Research Team, uh, Kristen Evans, Dave McCullough, uh, Lynn Nickerson, Tom D'Agostino, and Paul uh Gillis, is that how we pronounce it? Gillis, yeah. Gillis, for whatever I looked at it, and I was thinking Giles. And that yeah, gets into uh, demonology, quote-unquote. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, you can check is that, that out. Paul, Paul Gillis or Nathaniel? Yeah. Paul Gillis. Oh, there's oh a no, Paul, okay. is there a, I wonder if it is Nathaniel Gillis. He's been a guest Nathaniel. on the show. He's pretty good at it. I know, that's, it. Why I was, that's why I was like, Nathaniel. oh, maybe it's a misprint. It's Nathaniel. Nathaniel Gillis. You're going to fire this producer. Yeah. <laughs> <okay. laughs> Please don't fire me. Check it out on Facebook, uh, New England Parafest 2021. All right, the amazing uh, Valerie LaFasso, an empathic medium who is also a UFO researcher, has joined our stable of co-authors for our new book, Behind the Paranormal Three, Uneasy Skies. Also contributing will be Shane, Alexander Petikoff. Uh, The book will also contain the best of our interviews over the years with the greatest researchers in the UFO field, as well as some of our own experiences. Look for the book release late this year. And you can check out our current books, uh, the, along with those of our uh, co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us, along with uh, 900-plus free recorded shows of our 12-plus years on the air, including four-and-a-half our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And the recorded shows, we have reloaded them after solving technical issues to BehindTheParanormal.com back to 2010. And we have to go back to 2008. We're getting there. Uh, if you can't find them there or you want to listen to them somewhere else, check out iTunes or any of the other major mm. podcast uh, platforms. Indeed. So uh, what do you have? Shane, what's going on with you? Not a whole lot. <laughs> not, not a whole lot. That's true I'm for still all working on, uh, Yeah, I'm still working on getting the uh, Rumble podcast up, and it's going to be more than just a podcast, but I'm, I'm still working on that, but um, hopefully coming up soon. Mm. Great. Uh, what we got next week, Ben? So next week, uh, January 24th, we'll welcome the mother-stepdaughter ghost research team, Pam Nance and Ashley Field, uh, based in the Carolinas. They use their... Th- they use theories and methods that are based on the multiverse. Yeah. That's, I've had some fascinating conversations with them. should be good. So we'll leave you today with a thought from that lovable 13th century Persian philosopher and theologian, Rumi. Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. I'm I, Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Shane Stairway. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of 
Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.